0: Welcome to the show. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know when I say America has become incredibly polarized. A claim I see almost daily from some folks on the right is that Joe Biden should be in jail. Today, we're going to explore whether Biden should be sitting in prison rather than sitting in the Oval Office. The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. Let's start with this. I am completely nonpartisan, so no bias should be imputed from the fact that today I'm going to talk about Republicans demanding Joe Biden be charged, tried, convicted, and imprisoned. Other than perhaps Ron Paul, who's no longer in office, I'd be happy for all of them from both sides to get charged, tried, and convicted and sent to prison. However, and this is a huge however, I don't support that happening to any of them, whether it's Lindsey Graham, Nancy Pelosi, Kevin McCarthy, or Chuck Schumer, without evidence, the person has violated a federal statute. I do not want to be sent to jail without having violated a law. I presume you don't either. If you don't want to be sent to prison without having violated a law, I'm sure you can see how hypocritical it would be for you to want someone else put in prison without having violated a law. Before we go further... Let me be forthright with you about how I see Biden. Joe Biden is a prolific liar. You can find videos on the internet of him telling all sorts of lies, and I'm not talking about things people who don't like him might choose to interpret as lies. I mean inarguable lies, such as the claim that he graduated top of his law class when in fact he graduated 76th in a class of 85. He told reporters he was the only student in his law school class to be there on a full academic scholarship when, in fact, he did not receive a full academic scholarship. He said he had been chosen the, quote, outstanding student of the year in the political science department. He later had to admit that wasn't true. He claimed he had graduated with three degrees. He later admitted he only has one. He committed plagiarism in law school by submitting 45 pages of somebody else's earlier work as his own. When that was discovered, he had to make a public apology. Yet, that didn't teach him anything because years later in a campaign speech, he plagiarized, almost word for word, the speech of a British politician. Joe Biden is clearly not a man of honor or integrity. I've intentionally stayed away from discussing his more current lies because I don't want this to become a political debate. I want to keep the focus on whether he should be in prison. The only reason I shared the information about his earlier lies is as we move forward, I want you to know, I want you to be aware, that I think Biden is dishonorable. With that under our belts, let's get into the question of whether Joe Biden should be sitting in a prison or in the Oval Office. We need to begin with how... In America, someone gets prosecuted for a crime. The two elements that must be present are facts and the law. More pointedly, the facts submitted at trial must support that the defendant violated the language of a criminal statute. In other words, the facts and law have to blend together to show a violation. And, as you're probably aware, that blending of facts and law must be sufficient to persuade a jury beyond a reasonable doubt, that the defendant did commit a criminal act. Most of the accusations I hear from people on the right concerning criminal conduct by Biden revolve around claims of influence peddling. Are you prepared to have your mind blown? There is no federal statute prohibiting influence peddling. Once you've recovered from (laughs) that shocking bit of information, if you think about it, it makes perfect sense because politics is, in a very real sense, all about influence peddling. The very act of a politician telling voters what he or she will do for them if they send him or her to Congress is a form of influence peddling. It essentially says that in exchange for your vote, your chosen guy or gal will use his position of power in D.C. to get you what you want. But the claims made about Biden are that he has used his office to illegally influence various matters. The key word there is illegally, and illegal means he violated a statute. So what might those statutes be? As I listen to those saying Biden should be in prison, the most likely statute is 18 U.S.C. section 201 entitled, Bribery of Public Officials and Witnesses. It's a lengthy statute, so I'm not going to share it all with you here today. I'll put a link in the notes so you can read it for yourself if inclined. The relevant portion for today's discussion is subsection C, which lays out the following. Whoever... Being a public official or person selected to be a public official directly or indirectly corruptly demands, seeks, receives, accepts, or agrees to receive or accept anything of value personally or for any other person or entity in return for A. Being influenced in the performance of any official act, B. Being influenced to commit or aid in committing or to collude in or allow any fraud or make opportunity for the commission of any fraud upon the United States, or C, being induced to do or omit to do any act in violation of the official duty of such official or person. I want to draw your attention to the opening sentence again. I'm going to emphasize the words of which I want you to take note. Whoever, being a public official or person selected to be a public official, corruptly demand, seeks, receives, accepts, blah, blah, blah. blah. Corruptly. That's the key word. In other words, a government official can demand, seek, receive, accept, anything of value, blah, 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 as long as it's not done corruptly, or (laughs) at least it can't be shown to have been done corruptly. Let's consider a scenario. Let's say a government official has the ability to dispense federal funds for certain purposes. He'd like a buddy or family member to receive a financial benefit from the dispensing of certain funds. Obviously, he can't come right out and say, I'll give your organization a generous share of this money if you funnel it to Jerry Smith. That would fulfill the corruptly element of the statute. Instead, the official with authority to dispense the funds sends a representative to a meeting with the organization that might be the recipient of the money. The narrative is that the dispensing official wants to be confident the money will be used for the correct legal purposes, for which the spending was authorized by Congress. After the meeting takes place, they agree to meet for cocktails that evening, They all know that's where the real business is going to get done. The representative of the dispensing official invites Jerry Smith to join them for drinks. When the conversation turns to the discussion that took place earlier in the day, Jerry interjects that he's well-situated to help the organization comply with the requirements of receiving the funds. The dispensing official's representative expresses that he thinks that would strengthen the organization's position to be a recipient of the fund, and suggests perhaps the org and Jerry might consider working together. The officer of the organization that's hoping to receive the funds gets the message loud and clear. If the organization wants the funds, a portion must be paid to Jerry Smith. A few weeks later, the officer for the organization calls the government official, and during the course of a rather banal conversation, just happens to mention the organization has retained Jerry Smith to help the project move forward as smoothly as possible. Mission accomplished. Everyone knows the game being played. No demands were made. No ultimatums were given. It was a polite conversation over drinks. No one could successfully make a claim that the funds were given contingent on Jerry getting a cut. When the time comes, the dispensing official allocates the funds to the organization, and Jerry gets his cut. Everyone knew the game being played, and everyone is happy with the outcome. That's a simple, streamlined scenario that makes it easy to see how the game is played. But at the international level, the game can get pretty complex with lots of people in the mix. There are also a slew of other games those in D.C. play to secure financial benefits for themselves and their friends. Whichever game is being played, all of them involve influence peddling, which, as we discussed, is not illegal. Earlier, I said that as I've listened to those saying Biden should be in prison, the most likely statute is 18 U.S.C. 201. Why did I say it's the most likely statute? Why didn't I say that it's the statute they claim Biden violated? That's because the people who want Biden in prison have never once named a statute they believe he's violated. I've been asking them for more than a year. No one has been able to point to a statute. Why is that? Biden has held one office or another in D.C. for 50 years. Literally 50 years. Do you think a guy who has been immersed in that system for 50 years knows how the games are played? Section 201 exists essentially to prosecute government officials who peddle influence overtly rather than subtly. There are very few prosecutions under 201 because, as I mentioned earlier, politics is essentially one big game of influence peddling, and everyone in D.C. knows how the game is played. We've all seen the numbers where, after several years in the House, a congressperson with an annual salary of $174,000 somehow ends up with a net worth of $10 million. Also, there's a reason the long-established nickname for the Senate is the Millionaire's Club. After 50 years in D.C., Biden knows the game inside and out. The reason people on the right can't name a statute Biden violated is he hasn't violated any. Because he knows how to play the game. If right now you're thinking, Biden is a dirty, rotten SOB who's getting away with shit because he knows how to play the game. I agree with you, (laughs) but the same is true of everyone in senior positions in Washington. Do you think Lindsey Graham is any less a dirty, rotten SOB who's getting away with shit because he knows how to play the game simply because he has an R after his name or Mitch McConnell before his brain turned to mush? As much as I loathe Biden, to focus on him in terms of influence peddling is to miss the point. Do our elected representatives in D.C. serve the American people? They do. But while in D.C., they also serve themselves. No one leaves Congress or senior positions in the executive branch poor. When working within a structure that brings in and spends trillions of dollars a year in which literally everyone is using their positions to create wealth for themselves, who isn't going to do it. For the sake of argument, let's say there are 10,000 people in the federal government who hold positions that permit them to enhance their financial position by playing one of these various games. Now, imagine a guy is elected or appointed to a position where he can play the game and secure his economic future. In other words, he's one of those 10,000. Once he gets sworn in, it doesn't take long until his peers share this factual narrative with him. If he plays the game properly, he isn't breaking any laws. On the whole, the public has no idea about it. The media never tells the American people about it. The other 9,999 people who are in positions to do it are doing it. And he'll leave D.C. never having to worry about money ever again. In short, everyone is doing it. No one cares. It's not illegal. And it's simply the way things are in D.C. It would take a person with very strong scruples not to do it. And how many people who seek positions of power in D.C. have very strong (laughs) scruples? Pointing a finger at this guy or that gal out of partisanship, in my opinion does a disservice to our country by miscasting a systemic problem as something that should only be seen as partisan. Democrats point to Republicans doing it as evidence of how terrible Republicans are, and Republicans point to Democrats who are doing it as evidence of how terrible Democrats are. In reality, they're all doing it. D.C. has some very real parallels to reality TV. In the main, the public sees of D.C. what those in D.C. want the public to see, and nothing more. Most Americans are completely ignorant of what happens away from the cameras in D.C. And, as you might imagine, the vast majority of what happens is never seen by the cameras or reported by the press. The key is to stop believing, stop investing oneself in the narratives put out by the D.C. spin masters and put before you by the media. The people in D.C. are telling you what to believe about the people in D.C. Why would you do that? The key is to understand what is really happening, not what you're being told is happening. When it comes to D.C. on virtually any subject you can think of, there is the story you're being told, and then there is the truth. Perhaps the most egregious example of the difference between what D.C. tells the American people and the truth is that ordinary, hardworking Americans owe income tax, that income tax has been imposed on ordinary Americans. And, to be clear, they know the truth. By that, I don't mean low-level players know the truth, but certainly those at the top of the food chain do. How do I know that? In Income Tax Shattering the Mist, I provide all the primary sources for you to completely understand what the law really says, as opposed to what you've been told the law says. Today, I'm only going to touch on two aspects that prove the Treasury Department knows the truth and steals your money through fraud. It may surprise you that nowhere in the tax code or the regulations does it tell the American people who is to file a Form 1040. Think about that. In thousands of pages of income tax statutes enacted into law by Congress, there is not a single mention of who is to submit a 1040 to the government. Because the regs are far more voluminous than statutes, in tens of thousands of pages of regulations, who is to file a 1040 is never mentioned. Doesn't that seem odd to you? It's not as odd as you may think. Allow me to explain. When these legally controlling documents were written, there was no internet. In pre-internet days, while statutes and regs could often be found in your local government's main public library, finding treasury decisions required you to go to a major law library and know your way around the place. I'd guess that perhaps one one-hundredth of one percent of the American people who are not attorneys or work for one have set foot in a law library. In other words, if you were the government looking for a place to hide a truth from the American people putting that truth in Treasury decisions that could only be found in law libraries, and even then only if you knew what you were looking for, would be the perfect hiding place. And that is exactly what the Treasury Department did. They made no mention of who was to use a Form 1040 in the statutes or the regulations, which even in pre-Internet days were relatively easy to find. Instead, putting that information in documents that were only available within buildings not one in 100,000 Americans would ever walk into. So why do nine Treasury decisions say a 1040 is to be used by non-resident aliens with U.S. source income, but not a single one designates you as someone who should use a 1040? Simple. Because the law does not impose income tax on American citizens living and working in the states of the Union earning his or her domestic income. Period. You were simply told it does, and you blindly believe it. The government's income tax narrative is basically the legal version of the government's claim that if you got vaccinated, you wouldn't get infected with SARS-CoV-2 or infect others. It's only believable until you look at the facts. In the case of income tax, looking at the facts means having a look at what the law really says, which is what I guide you through in income tax shattering the mess. I said I was going to touch on two issues today showing the government knows the truth and is willing and intentionally stealing from every American who hasn't read the law for themselves, which sadly is most of them. In order to address the second point, I need to tell you upon whom the U.S. income tax has been imposed and who has been made liable, which, when it comes to income tax, are not synonymous. Are you ready? The income tax has been imposed on three, what the law calls, classes of persons. And a fourth class has been made liable to pay the tax owed by the first three classes under certain circumstances. The three classes upon whom the tax has been imposed are... Non-resident aliens with U.S. source income, which, of course, dovetails perfectly with the nine Treasury decisions saying non-resident aliens with U.S. source income are to file Form 1040, foreign corporations with U.S. source income, and third, U.S. citizens living abroad with foreign earned income. That's it. That's the only three classes of persons upon whom the income tax has been imposed. The fourth class, which is the person made liable to pay the tax of non-resident aliens and foreign corporations under certain circumstances, is U.S. citizens or domestic corporations who have possession of U.S. source income belonging to a foreign person. A U.S. citizen or domestic corporation who has possession of U.S. source income belonging to a foreign person, known in tax law as a U.S. person, is required to withhold and pay over to the government the non-resident alien or foreign corporation's U.S. income tax before the U.S. source income leaves the U.S. A moment ago, I said the U.S. person has been made liable for the foreign person's U.S. income tax under certain circumstances. What are those circumstances? Simple! The U.S. person has possession of the foreign person's U.S. source income, is ready to send it to its owner in their foreign country, and the foreign person has not notified the U.S. person that he, she, or it has filed a U.S. tax return and paid the U.S. tax. If the foreign owner hasn't paid the U.S. income tax before it's time for the money to move offshore, the U.S. person is required to withhold the tax and pay it over to the government before sending the money offshore. Now that you understand who income tax has been imposed upon and who has been made liable, I can share the second point that proves the government knows exactly what it's doing when it steals from you by committing fraud. The modern income tax was enacted into law in 1913. The first regulations were promulgated to clarify and enforce those statutes the same year. In other words, as I'm recording this, the Treasury Department has been creating regulations by which to clarify and enforce income tax law for 110 years. For 110 years, those regulations have been written by legislative draftsmen at the Treasury Department. In that 110-year period, not a single income tax regulation has ever been promulgated that enforces the income tax on anyone other than non-resident aliens and foreign corporations with U.S. source income and U.S. citizens living abroad with foreign-earned income. Not one in 110 years. Riddle me this. If the tax was actually upon ordinary hardworking Americans, in other words, what you have believed your whole life, how is it that over 110 years, not a single regulation enforces it on anyone other than non-resident aliens and foreign corporations with U.S. source income and U.S. citizens living abroad with foreign earned income? But more to the point, in order for thousands of legislative draftsmen working over 110 years to create regulations that only enforce the tax upon non-resident aliens and foreign corporations with U.S. source income and U.S. citizens living abroad with foreign earned income, and never once enforced the tax on ordinary working Americans, generations of legislative draftsmen had to know where the constitutional guardrails are. They've all known what you'll discover in income tax shattering the myth: that Congress never imposed the income tax on you. No rational person could possibly believe generations of legislative draftsmen just kept making a single specific omission for 110 years by accident. (laughs) And that single 110-year omission just happened to be the false narrative the government has been promoting for the last 60 years. Think of it this way. As the government has been engaged in massive propaganda to convince the American people the income tax applies to them— Treasury's legislative draftsmen still did not write any regulations enforcing income tax on ordinary hard-working Americans. In short, the propaganda is a lie. The non-existence of any regulations supporting the propaganda tells you the truth. To put an even finer point on it, the most senior legislative draftsmen who are sitting at their desks in the Treasury Department write, Now, know the truth, because they also haven't drafted any regulations enforcing the income tax on me or you. Let's say a legislative draftsman has been with Treasury for 22 years. Why isn't he writing regs that enforce the income tax on U.S. citizens living and working in the states of the Union, earning his or her own domestic income? Answer because those who reach the highest levels within the Treasury Department know Congress has never imposed the income tax on ordinary working Americans, and enforcement regs can be written only for those upon whom the law has been imposed. I've mentioned before that I was naive when I wrote Income Tax Shattering the Myths. Before I wrote it, there was no comprehensive compendium laying out the statutes, regs, Treasury decisions, treasury orders, internal IRS documents, and U.S. Supreme Court cases, all of which saying the same thing for 110 years, that the income tax has never been imposed on ordinary working Americans. I thought that once I put together the missing comprehensive compendium, the American people would swoop it up like hotcakes because who wants their hard-earned money stolen based on a scam? Like I said, I was naive. I had completely underestimated how effective the government's brainwashing of the American people had been. I also believe I had grossly underestimated how cowardly my fellow citizens are. As you can probably imagine, having to come to terms with how thoroughly my fellow citizens had allowed themselves to be brainwashed, and in conjunction with that, how cowardly they had become, was a tough pill to swallow. After I realized how badly I had miscalculated who my fellow citizens are, my thought was the same as it is today. The Founding Fathers were willing to kill as many British soldiers as was necessary, and risk their own lives, to secure liberty and create a government that is constitutionally required to respect your rights. One of those rights is the right of property, the right to keep what you earn, and there is no income tax exception in the Constitution which is why the income tax has never and does not apply to you. In contrast to the heroic conduct of the founding generation, today the vast majority of my fellow citizens are afraid to read a book. Literally afraid to read a book. As well as being afraid to just follow the law. They'd rather stick their heads in the sand out of cowardice and allow themselves to get raped by the government, rather than learn what the law says and follow it. I haven't filed a tax return or paid a penny of income tax in 30 years, and here I sit having this discussion with you. How did I do that? Simple. I learned what the law says, and I began following it. Hundreds of thousands of your fellow citizens have safely left the income tax behind. How did they do that? They learned what the law says and began following it. (laughs) Are you detecting a theme? Clearly, with the extent to which the American people have allowed themselves to be brainwashed and the cowardice, income tax shattering the mist is not for everyone. I'd like to share a quote with you by Carl Sagan from his book, the demon-haunted world. In it, Sagan said, One of the saddest lessons of history is this. If you've been bamboozled long enough, you tend to reject any evidence of the bamboozle. We're no longer interested in finding out the truth. The bamboozle has captured us. It's simply too painful to acknowledge, even to ourselves, that we've been taken Once you give a charlatan power over you, you almost never get it back. Close quote. Pretty sad, isn't it, that people are so weak? If you're not that sad, weak, cowardly American, if you're the opposite of that, if you have intelligence and courage, if you know the government is full of shit about, well, most everything, Income Tax Shattering the Myth may be the most enjoyable and disturbing and profound book you will ever read. Further, because I never want anyone to take my word for anything, Income Tax Shattering the Myth has a thorough table of authorities as well as a complete index, so you have the tools you need to verify the accuracy of everything you find in Income Tax Shattering the Myth. For a limited time, you can save 15% on Income Tax Shattering the Miss by entering the coupon code ONIT at checkout. I'll put the link and the code in the notes. Also, by purchasing Income Tax Shattering the Miss and other books of mine, such as Body Science, a groundbreaking book on human physiology that many readers have told me very likely saved their lives, you help me to continue to be here for you with these revealing, thought-provoking presentations. Please share this presentation with everyone, and thanks for being here. Take care.